What up, y'all? So I'm very excited to bring y'all this one quick intro. Uh, this is a conversation with Steven Roberts um, that basically started with a text message. I hit him up and I said, yo, you want to talk about the future of culture and the future of black culture? And he said, yeah. And this is what started. I do need to give a little bit of a caveat, though. Um, there's a point in this conversation. And this caveat is for those of y'all who are journalists or are considering becoming a journalist or the early stage in your career um there are a few things in here that might sound like career advice and i want to caution you um don't listen to half of this and then think that you got an idea what to do with your life and then run on and do that um you will hear the caveats at the end at where we discuss about how some of the stuff that we talk about might not work for everybody so keep that part of mind but anyway no more intro let's get right into it steven roberts hope y'all dig this one i haven't seen i haven't seen you in person in a minute word it's been a minute uh i think last time i was in la was 2022 yeah i guess that's so. probably the last time i saw you me yeah, you and man. ellis got uh brunch at great white look at this that memory. is right oh my gosh yeah. i forgot about that yeah we were by the ice cream spot and they had the sailor moon mm -hmm. car you saw the sailor moon car right I don't left. think so. You left. Nah, you left. There was okay. somebody. All right. Somebody had totally done out like a Ford Focus and just straight up all Sailor Moon. Not even just Sailor Moon. Like uh -huh. Sailor Moon in Japanese. They just totally oh, wow. okay. kitted it out. And so, of course, I went over, took a picture, posted it to the gram, and people legit thought it was my car. Like, I can see that. Yeah. I, no. Not, I mean, I can see not, it. Yeah, that's not a thing I would do. First off, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have a Ford Focus. That's the main thing. Is I wouldn't have a fair, Ford okay, Focus. Fair, fair. That's the main problem. Is people think I bought a Ford Focus, but also that. Look, I respect Sailor Moon. I'm. Mm -hmm. I don't ride that hard for Sailor Moon. If anything, people know it would be Dragon Ball Z and Piccolo would definitely be on the hood. Happy this Black History Month. Happy, Happy Black, Black History, History Month. Month. Yeah. Um, shout out to our Mexican homies who love Goku. Yo, for real, that that's a whole other topic. Yeah, man. that that's 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 going to the documentary. I'm not even playing. I'm still working yeah, on it, low key Beautiful. in the background. In the background. Hey, keep it working. But look, everyone. Um, for those of you all who are unfamiliar with Stephen, I'm not really sure what to say, and I also can't really do a I can't do a great introduction for you because you've just done too many things. <laughs> um. What I will say is my introduction uh, to Steven was working at Vice. We were fellow travelers at, at one point. We were in the same boat at one point. And mm -hmm. we actually only got to work on one piece. We flew into Chicago and let the only piece. I think that's the only piece we worked on. That's crazy. It's wild. Okay, isn't it? yeah, yeah. Yeah. We we went to Chicago to work on a piece about basically the cops putting leaving trucks open with boxes of shoes and waiting mm -hmm. for somebody to go take them and called bait trucks essentially and um and yeah we were in there we were in chicago for no joke an afternoon we left and it was a really interesting experience but yeah i came to find out that steven had been working on all sorts of other stuff so not only at you were at vice and then mtv and then vice so, again yeah give me the background man yeah i can give you like the full like origin story i actually started yes. out at mtv news um my professors and i went to uh stony brook university uh out in long island 
And my professors in journalism school were like, hey, uh, please go work at Rolling Stone or something like that because you only care about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like those were always like the papers I would hand in. I'd mm. be covering drugs on campus. Uh, I would go to shows. I would like just cover sports events. And they were like, yeah, you're not gonna be able to do a PTA meeting. So followed their, uh, their wise wisdom. And they were like, yeah, go work at a Rolling Stone. However, I did wanna learn production because I knew journalism was dying. So it's been like uh, 20 years of dying, probably a <laughs> bit more than that. But uh, I wanted to learn video production because I knew that would open up a lot of doors for me. And thankfully, I had a cousin who was interning at MTV News, and he slid my resume. Shout out to nepotism uh, to uh, Miss uh, One Christina Garibaldi. Shout out Christina, and uh, she loved me. So I started out there. I uh, was there for ooh, five, six years. Then went over to Vice as they were launching Noisy and kind of becoming Vice, and went there, but that just wasn't a great fit for a number of reasons. I think mainly because the people who hired me got like fired or left like three weeks after I got there. Went back to MTV News, worked there for 12 more months and then got poached again to go up to ESPN. Worked to ESPN for roughly two years, but I'm from Brooklyn and Bristol, Connecticut is not very much like Brooklyn. Uh, bounced around freelance for a bit at the Fader, worked for the Clinton campaign, um, and then ended back up at MTV working on like documentaries. And then I had an opportunity to kind of go oversee video for MTV News, which I ran with. Let me put my phone on Do Not Disturb because somebody's calling. And then uh, <laughs> that was a beautiful experience. I uh, got to lead a whole team. We did a lot of really dope things, really loved it. Unfortunately, uh, Corporate America and Viacom, Paramount, whatever it is now, is going to do what it does dipped and then that's when i came over to vice to meet you so this is 2018. yep damn dude and then since yeah. then you've since then i've yeah. done a lot of other shit. i'm uh i've kind of always been the type that oh i want to try this and i go after it that's very much me i never saw myself as someone who would sit in a position and there's nothing wrong with that but like sit in a position for 30 years and then that what I would do, that's just kind of not my personality or what I was ever really interested in. So I dipped from Vice because uh, corporate America, again, going to uh, corporate America, also very much so that that ship was on the way down and dipped, <laughs> went over to White and Kennedy because um wanted to uh, expand my horizons. And I've always wanted to make Nike commercials. And so that's where you go make them. You go make them for White and Kennedy. And yeah. again, journalism dying. And so after that, that was an interesting, unique experience. Dip from there, and then you, you. By the way, out. he was in Portland. You were in Portland when things were yep. jumping off in the in twenty twenty in the protests in summer, and so, so they weren't jumping off. It was like a four block radius where all that was happening. Precisely, I was about to say yeah. that. Yeah. Uh huh. So it was like one of the things from the outside looking in. It's like, oh, Portland's crazy. Yada yada yada. Everyone would be hitting me, like, "Are you okay?" And I'd be like, yeah, I'm at this artisanal coffee shop because that's all that was around. And, um, but like um, the craziest thing was actually fucking climate change, like, cause there were forest fires and that I'm from Brooklyn once again, and there's mm -hmm. no forest here. So that was fucking crazy. But uh, protests were chill, um, they ain't bothered me. Um, and so did that for a number of years. That was a really cool experience, but then have since dipped and I'm currently working on my own thing. Like uh, you mentioned your docs. I have a few mm -hmm. I'm working on, like behind the scenes, underground, and like, yeah, 
waiting to get that popping because yeah, the plan is to build generational wealth and make sure we can build something for all of us to do greatness. There we go. So yes. that that is why I didn't try to do a bio is because I couldn't have done that. Uh <laughs> I've I've had to practice it. So thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, man. So look, I I hit up Steven a bit ago, like over the weekend, and said basically just hit him on WhatsApp and said, Yo, let's talk about culture, the future of culture, which I think necessarily includes the future of black culture. Um whatever any of those things mean. And and I posted, and I also I wanted to tie it in, because I think it does tie in to this interview that I did with the CEO of TikTok, because I think we can't deny that TikTok, at the very least, has is irreversibly changed how we both express ourselves and how we see ourselves. And so, but I think there's a whole lot of other directions we could go to from there. Also, this is just no joke. I, I thought we have conversations often enough mm-hmm. that I feel like are just interesting. And I felt like, you know what, let me to a degree, to a degree. Right. Maybe not everything, but bring bring people into some of those because I feel like that there's something in, in there, uh, especially with some of the stuff that you're tapped into. So I want I wanted you to give the full background just to let people know where Steven's coming from, which is to say, think of the kind of the arbiters of cool, the places where cool comes from, the places where, and you can say where culture comes from, right? Um, There's a lot of heavy hitters there. There's a lot of influential outlets there. You might, you don't have to like any of them, right? But Nike, Vice, MTV, I mean, ESPN, sports in general, right? There's a lot of that. Um, and and I've, I've participated in some of those, not all of them, obviously, but some of those. So I felt like there was, there was a lot we could start off with. But I don't know, man, where where you want to start? You want to talk about this? Uh, you want to start the TikTok about article? the TikTok thing? We can start there. Yeah, man. So, yeah, uh, start there because I know um, I'm actually super curious to learn a little bit more about it. And I'm sure maybe I'm not quite sure how many people have, may have read it. But I'm curious, how did that come about for you? And you can give a backstory on what the actual article is. So yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, this is this is a profile on the CEO of TikTok, and um, I got a, a couple of emails saying, "Yo, do you want to? Would you like to interview the the CEO of TikTok? Like, we, we really want you to do this." And it was from Watch. I was, of course, obviously very flattered just that somebody a would think of me and b would think that I would I would do a good job of it, but I think what they wanted was just and I, I this portion this portion of it I agree with it is that a lot of the writing about TikTok or a lot of the reporting about TikTok has all been about like security, security, China, 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 and that's all that it is. But that's not what people get on TikTok for. That's not why they get on TikTok. Like kids don't get on TikTok to leak leak state secrets. <laughs> that's not that's not what brought them to, yeah, to TikTok. TikTok right? yeah. It's like, hey, yo, yeah, let's get here and let me see how much of a of a security violation for my great country can I be? Like, that's not <laughs> what that's not why children are using this application is because it's interesting to them, right? Mm-hmm. What is that? You know, shout out to Ellis, by the way. Shout out to Neto. We we made a piece on it in early early 2020, uh, 2020 just before the pandemic, and so 
I'd been thinking about the cultural ramifications of it. So anyway, um, yeah, that was how it happened. It was just, hey, yeah. let's get a cultural angle on this rather than just tech or, you know, security or whatever, politics. That's interesting. I'm curious, like, uh, with that, you also had a chance to sit with the CEO. Mm -hmm. In terms of, like, your prep, was there anything that kind of jumped out to you that you may have wanted to ask in terms of the space of music and looking at why kids are using it? Yeah, I mean, and so, like I said, I, I posted this in the in the uh, in the chat, and most of this is, I mean, there's a big long kind of profile of you know my impressions of talking to him and stuff like that, and also of the xenophobia. I think that it comes with our United States uh, treatment of the topic uh, because mm -hmm. it's, it's a Chinese-based app, um, and all of a sudden you know all the xenophobia and stuff like that comes out mm -hmm. look i get security security concerns cool understand also xenophobia um but yeah i mean what i i wanted to see how they actually saw themselves fitting into culture because i mean there's 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 a tiktok that i reference in in the piece and i actually showed him the tiktok mm -hmm. um where there's there's somebody saying it's a musician and she's saying basically that a lot of musicians hate having to promote themselves on TikTok, that it's embarrassing, that it's demeaning, that it just feels like they're just quote unquote content, right? They're not actually people. They're not actually they're They want to make art and they're having to make just feed this machine and they don't want to do that. And hey, CEO of this large media platform what do you think about the fact that there are artists who hate that they have to play this game? Because a lot of people mm -hmm. don't. There's people who are good at it, but there's people who really hate it. So I was curious about what he thought of that. And he mostly disagreed. Like, I, I don't know if he hadn't seen that sort of criticism before, but his stance was that, well, TikTok is lowering the barriers of entry for musicians to be seen. And so thus it's a net positive. And I think it's some, somewhere he said, uh, he used the word, let me see. Net yeah, net positive. Yeah, yep. he said, yeah, we're, we're, we're bringing a net positive. And he said that, so that was the one thing. And the other thing he said was, yo, well, um, people want an authentic experience. People don't just want music. They want to be able to authentically connect with their fans, but or fans want to authentically connect with the artists. But what if the artist doesn't want to show you their daily routine and, hey, get ready with me to, I don't know, man, like polish the keys on the piano. What if you don't want to do that? Yeah. What if, what if you just want to make music? And, you know, her, her argument was like, do you think Tom York from Radiohead would have been saying, hey, let's make the song of the summer. I'm going to make the song of the summer. Like, no. So, yeah. That's interesting because it's funny. I maybe almost slightly agree with him. From this mm. perspective, you use Tom York. Yeah. Um, I don't, it, well, it's on a few levels there. Like, I'm not necessarily going to TikTok to look for Radiohead mm. or like Tom York's individual stuff, or I forget the other offshoot group. But um, The Smile, I'm not necessarily going to TikTok for that. But in terms of if Tom York wanted to do that, he's probably the worst person to use in this example, but yes. he could. And so he does have the choice to be like, Nah, I don't want to do this, and my fans aren't looking for me. This for me. However, if you're like, let's say a Doja Cat, who's probably an, also another interesting example, mm -hmm. her fan base is a bit younger and probably 
native to the platform yes in terms of which she may need to do it it's not like i like her obviously her relationship with her label is her relationship with her label but it may behoove her to kind of connect with the audience in that way at the same time doja cat doesn't seem too keen on connecting with her audience and like maybe right. rightfully so so i think it's kind of this weird thing of i think it's a tool if this makes sense where you can kind of use yes. a tool however you want to use it and mm. you can take advantage of it or you can be like nah i'm good i think I think that's where I'm seeing musicians kind of split here, right? Mm -hmm. And and the the thing the thing is, none of this was really to to dunk on the dude because yeah. mostly I just wanted to hear what he had to say, right? And and I th I think the two points he's making, there is merit to them. Um, I can see arguments for and against, right? And that's that's why I was bringing up, you know. I think that there's a there's a danger sort of in saying, oh, well, it used to be good in the old days. Right. I mean, there's this paragraph where, where I'm trying to bring this up in the piece where, mm -hmm. you know, the perception is. And that's why I say the perception is that it used to be if you were musically talented, that's all you needed. That wasn't old, that wasn't ever really the case. There were always yeah. other factors. There was luck. There was so many other things. Right. Mm -hmm. And then music videos. You need to be able to be musically talented. You also have to be pretty. And now with TikTok, you have to be talented and pretty and social media savvy. So I think the thing is now that now that this tool exists, it's like Pandora's box. If you don't use it, there's a problem, right? And, mm -hmm. and the question would be, could Tom York, could Radiohead break out now? And and maybe not, maybe yeah, and, think, and, and maybe there were things that we didn't get because they could have been big back in the day, and just you know the the label infrastructure or architecture just didn't didn't let those through. We could have had ten things that were better than Radiohead. I don't know. I don't yeah. know why I'm using Radiohead just because she did. But yeah, <laughs> no. But uh, let's say using the music video example. That's mm -hmm. how I learned about Radiohead was MTV. Yeah, like I grew up listening to Hot ninety seven, Hot ninety seven in New York. For those who aren't familiar was uh, kind of our main and still is hip hop station. And Hot 97 wasn't playing Karma Police. You weren't getting anything from Kid right. A or anything from there. So I wasn't exposed to it via like terrestrial radio. At the mm -hmm. same time, I wasn't necessarily going into stores or CD to get cassettes or CDs, really dating myself here. I wasn't looking for those CDs. However, when I saw, um, I think Karma Police might've been the first video I really remember from them. I saw that late night, as most people who know me, I'm like insomniac. So I saw like Karma Police on MTV. And mm. that's where I was like, oh, what is this? And so to, I guess to his point, and like maybe just as a different way of thinking, like if Radiohead didn't have that, Stephen Robert from Brooklyn, New York probably wouldn't have known about Radiohead just because right. I didn't have music videos. And so a younger Stephen Roberts, uh, who's now what, 16? A 16-year-old kid who's on TikTok, they might not know about, let's say, let's use the smile as an example. They might not know about Tom's new band, but there might be an interesting TikTok that whether it's Tom, uh, a fan of his does, that kind of introduces them to the music. So that's where I can kind of see his point. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I think I think these are definite possibilities because I know people who like I know people who popped off on TikTok and like musicians mm -hmm. and they're I think in general happy that they popped off 
also on the other side they feel like man i gotta keep doing this one thing like i can't branch out that's always kind of existed though i think it's just hyper focused yeah i think it's, you know it's funny uh I think you know my love of Pink Panthers. I found out about her on TikTok. That's what and, TikTok, yeah, that's where she yeah. did her thing, yeah. And, and like she was a kid in her bedroom making music mm-hmm. and it was good. And it was using like uh, old drum and bass samples, old jungle beats, mm-hmm. things that caught my ear, but were then being presented in like a new way and through like a new lens. So that's where I think, yeah, like we're almost reverse engineered by using Radiohead, but if we use like an example of, let's say, uh, Pink Pantherist, Olivia Rodrigo, even though she might have had some label support in doing so, like those are kind of what is, and we're going to get into it, but like kind of what culture is, culture is young people. So Mm. like, I think in kind of from that perspective, yeah, like these are kids who are natively, it's not, it's not a second thought that they're using TikTok. It's how they communicate their worlds and lives. So if you are an artist, if you want to communicate your art, you're going to use TikTok if you're a, 16 year old kid just because that's what you're used to doing yeah yeah i mean it is it is the it's the platform it's the platform which i think there's yeah a lot more to say about that i think that well one one question that i didn't get into uh yeah with with the ceo which you know i'm not sure if i would have had a very satisfying answer to it but um, one difference, I think that is a sort of a pretty fundamental difference between what we do, what we're doing now and what we were doing in the past is and, and also between TikTok and every other social media platform before it is numbers. TikTok at basically every stage of the way is always talking to you. It's communicating to you that numbers are important. So if you think about what Facebook's sort of reasons for existence was, like, why do you use TikTok? Why do you use Facebook? Oh, connect with my college friends at first. It was college. and mm-hmm. then, Okay, connect with friends. Um, MySpace, a place for friends, right? Kind of similar, where MySpace yeah. was kind of broad. Facebook was college only. It was like, oh, well, Facebook is MySpace, but for smart kids. Um, and then what? Twitter oh. is just mini blog, essentially. Uh, Instagram posts pretty pictures of your food at first, then posts selfies, right? TikTok is, it's had a, I mean, it's got slogans, but the things that it pushes to you is, I don't know how, I don't know if you use TikTok a ton, but pretty often it'll tell you, hey, here's how you can go viral. Mm. Whereas app platforms never really used to do that. I think they're starting to, like YouTube is starting to tell you, hey, here's how you can optimize your growth or whatever. But TikTok is interesting in that pretty built in, it tells you, here is how you can be more successful at this game. Mm -hmm. I find that really interesting because I think back to shoot, when I was a teenager and I was making music, I had no illusions of... Even if I thought, yo, I'm going to go win a Grammy. Let's say I was a Tyler, the creator type, right? Yeah. Um, I was more concerned with, I'm just going to make stuff and I'm going to give it to my friends. And that's the first step. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, like, I I can trust that they're going to sit down, hopefully, and listen to my whole song. I don't got to catch their attention the first two seconds. I don't have yeah. to structure the things that I make 
to grab you so that you don't do something else immediately. TikTok, I feel like, is it is fundamentally changing how we make stuff because of the focus on numbers, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's a super valid point. I think it's also keeping you on the app by doing mm -hmm. that, by like of kind course. of coaching you how to use it. And yeah. then, and so in doing so, it's coaching you to stay there and like you're staying there, you're engaging with it more. So I think it's kind of, we have to always remember all these apps, their plan is to get as many people on the app so they can start selling advertisement against it. Like, I think that's something that we always kind of have to call out where like, if you're a kid, that might not be your first thought, but yeah. we're thankful enough to be adults where we can be like, okay, well, this is a game in which these platforms, cause you brought up MySpace. I think MySpace was kind of this funny experiment where eventually ads and things came, but mm. it was just kind of building community and like yeah. you having this platform and your page to kind of express who you are, like who your top friends are, what song is going to play on your page. Right. And it was kind of like beta social media for us. It was kind of like that beginning. And then obviously that evolves with uh, Facebook and we've all seen the movie and we've all been, well, you and I were in college at that time. Mm. It was mainly to look at girls around campus and like, as like uh what you call it as like simple and like barbaric as that may seem like that's what it was and so at the same time that's Damn, how you had a plan man i wasn't even thinking that far ahead but okay all right i mean I homie you. said it in the movie like they yeah, were yes, literally yes, trying yes. to yeah, yeah no that, yeah that's, that's how it started player. exactly yes also like a horny teenager and so and it's vice versa it goes both ways mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so it was this idea of doing that and then from there kind of capturing an audience so then that way you build on a platform and then you can start selling ads right so i think that's something where TikTok has now that it might be the fourth generation of this thinking about mm. twitter instagram it kind of has those lessons that i can learn from those previous apps yeah. and there's also like really you pointed out in an article but there's this really dope thing where TikTok actually shows you how to edit and to yes. make content in the platform where you Dude. don't have to leave you can yeah. do it all native to it. And I think that's like another lesson learned that kind of captures the audience and keeps them there. That is that is one thing, honestly. And I, I actually told, you know, look, I was <laughs> I was a little hard on them. Not hard on them, but you know, I didn't I didn't come in to do some softball stuff. I wasn't going in to get yeah. a dunk or try to catch them, but I did some things and you can see in the piece that um their comps person wasn't excited about all these questions. Like the comms mm -hmm. person was sitting there the whole time and interrupted me to interrupted him actually to disagree with some things. Um, whatever. That is what comms people do. That's yep. fine. I'm I'm not I'm not mad at it. I understand the game. Um, but one of the things that you cannot deny is that for all of the whole thing that Meta likes to say, that oh man, we're making a metaverse, whatever, whatever, it's not even a competition, man. It's not even a competition. Like you can, you do not have to leave TikTok and all the stuff that, uh, what is it? The Elon Musk is saying, oh, X is going to be the everything app. Basically, he's trying to make a WeChat. If you're not familiar with WeChat, WeChat is a mm -hmm. W E C H A T. Uh, WeChat is a, it's um, it's it's an app that basically allows you to do almost everything. You can talk to your friends you can call and video call your friends uh you can buy food you can pay for food like you can do almost anything within this app you order a car whatever you want uh read the news anything and everything almost um and for all that 
dude is uh, the Elon Musk is saying he wants to make something like that. TikTok is so very close to that where yeah, yeah. there's the app, the editing app not only within TikTok but CapCut. CapCut if I was teaching a media class right now or like an intro to media class I would have them use CapCut. I would not teach them Final Cut Pro. I would not teach them DaVinci Resolve. I would not teach them uh, Premiere. I would start people off on CapCut because it does 95% of everything you need and you can do everything in-house. It's all, like you never have to leave. It's incredible. Yep. It's, it's, you have to give credit where credit's due. It's incredibly good. It's incredibly integrated. It all works. And for so many, especially kids... I think you and I are, we're in an interesting generation where I think us and and people like in their 20s, 20s upwards and just under like 45 or so, we're in this generational kind of area where we had to get good at computers because computers weren't very good. And our, yeah. our, our parents never had to get computers good at computers because, you know, they can get away with it at their job. Mm -hmm. But- kids they it doesn't occur to them to google things yeah which like you, is you just oh, yeah yeah it's wild you just open up tiktok mm -hmm. and and it it doesn't occur to them that oh hey i want to know something okay i'm gonna look at tiktok and it'll come up eventually it's just like go up to the fire hose when yeah. we had to like look for stuff i'm mm -hmm. not well i do think looking to this the the skill of looking for stuff is probably a good thing to have, but that's just that's just what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, because everything's there. It's also like, and we may get into this later. I also think it's in addition to like kind of social media platforms, it's like a mm -hmm. cultural thing mm -hmm. where you're not taught to like be a critical thinker or to look a step further. Yeah, like you are essentially probably for a generation have been taught to pass a test. You haven't been yeah. taught to necessarily learn or seek information. So these platforms are only kind of maybe taking advantage of that. And so if you kind of have a generation that, I don't want to say that they're, it's not that they're not media literate, but it's the way that they attack problems is just different because mm -hmm. the problems that they face are not simplistic, but different. And so I think that combines and kind of, they kind of feed each other. It's like a snake eating its tail where it's just like, no, this is how we pass a test. This is how we receive information. So there's never really a, lead, a need to like look beyond or question things. And so I think you kind of have that happening because new information is always introduced to you, which can shatter your worldview. And then you're like, hey, and it's not to say that our generation or our parents' generation don't face that same thing. But I also yeah, think definitely. it's a combination of like our education system and then just kind of social media where it's just like two almost things butting heads. All right, so we've laid the bases. I think we have a good foundation in talking about <laughs> in talking yep. about social media. Where is culture right now? That's a very interesting question. Um, or we could say culture consumption, it, however you want to put that. I think it's in a place of gluttony. Ooh, okay. Because I think you have access to so much where you are kind of a it's being fed and like shoved to you that you a need to look like this you need to have this um here's new music you don't really ever get to sit and grow with that artist you don't get to watch them evolve because next week there's a new artist you need to be up on so i think because we have like such access to everything mm. it's a bit of an overload 
and we're just kind of consuming things. So I think that culture is in an interesting place where that's happening, but I do see kind of a slow rejection of that, or it's maybe like an active rejection that's happening, but we're watching it slowly happen where it's this thing where, well, I'm not being fulfilled by this because I don't have any like real brand loyalty to the thing now. Uh, there's a great article that came out, I believe, yesterday from like Business of Fashion about uh, this idea of where Nike went wrong or where Nike has gone, gone of course. Mm. But uh, there's a number of reasons why. But one of the things it kind of points to is this kind of idea of just, well, let's push the sale of like kind of retro sneakers, sneakers that people will always buy and buy and buy. At the same time, like a new generation of Nike users and like reliance on performance wear has kind of fallen to the wayside. Yes. And also building new stories to those older products for a generation who may not have seen Michael Jordan play kind of doesn't necessarily help. And then building new relationship with new basketball players because basketball is kind of a part of like the cultural zeitgeist for Nike. While Nike is a running, uh, running at the core, like a running shoe and running shoe yeah. company, um, basketball is kind of what helped it cross over, which we'll kind of get into a bit more about just kind of black people being involved in culture. But you kind of look at things like that where people are quickly feeling, well, I don't identify with this. There's nothing that I identify can latch onto other than I need to have this, I need to wear this. And the same goes for, I think with fashion, I think mm -hmm. you're slowly starting to see people try to figure out their identity. It's something that I've noticed going out in New York, which kind of saddens me because New York was always known for fashion, uh, but now people seem to dress like someone that they saw on TikTok. You can tell like the TikTok if we're followed. But what I think kind of naturally always happens is a pushback against that, where yeah. people are like, oh no, this is corny, particularly I'm from. And I understand like New York is a melting pot of a lot of different thoughts yeah. and cosmopolitan interests. But I think that's something that I've noticed where you do see people dressed like TikTok influencers and it's like, nah, like New York is all about who you are. And so I think mm -hmm. you're going to slowly start seeing kind of a pushback against this idea of like, oh, this is what it is because you're being fed this. Like, oh, the numbers are saying like, this dude looks, he has a lot yeah. of followers, he dresses. So maybe I should dress like that. And then uh, with music, like with music kind of just being pushed your way, I know we'll talk mm -hmm. about the Grammys a bit later, but oftentimes like it's numbers, numbers, numbers. But yeah. the story or why you might relate to an artist is kind of needed for a lot of people. Like mm -hmm. they need to have a to an artist. And oh, perfect example. If you look at um, probably the biggest song that came out of there was a song that's our age, Fast Car, Tracy yeah. Chapman. Okay, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, Tracy Chapman, Fast Car. Mm -hmm. she, uh, Luke Holmes uh, over the last year does a cover of Fast Car and it blows up. Yes, He's a big right. fan of Tracy Chapman. Kind of wants to share that moment with her and is always like giving her kudos to her. Mm -hmm. On the surface, this is a uh, gay black woman and a straight younger white dude. But they're on the Grammy stage singing the same exact, singing her song. And it's never like a moment where it misses a beat because it's talking about actual real shit. It's talking about the fact that all we really have is a fast car and society is like crumbling around us. And that's a story that resonates with a, a black queer woman, uh, a straight white dude, and most of like America who is uh, working class or maybe even like a, yeah, working class or middle class who like mm -hmm. struggling. And so that's something that shows a universality. However, 
that's kind of like a nice moment. And the things that happen later on in the show are kind of like, well, these are the big songs and moments of the year. But at the same time, the thing that people still resonate and you'll see on all your social media feed is that mm-hmm. song and like this rediscovery of like this truly simple, straight to the point song. Yeah. I mean, you mentioning that people dressing like TikTok. So he, here, here's mm-hmm. something that I've thought really interesting because so you were in New York. So I obviously had a different perspective. I had a different upbringing because I was in San Bernardino, which is this weird mix of hood and suburb. It's like country, hood, Mm -hmm. and suburb. We have all three in there. We have everything but cosmopolitan. We did it like before my time because, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was the end of Route 66. And so all the big, especially all the big black comedians used to come through there. Um, Like it, it was the end of it was the end of the road. It was right before you get to to L.A. And so everybody yeah. made a stop there. No longer the case. <laughs> um, I'm very happy to be from there. I would not recommend that anybody go there. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not a destination unless you're from there. And I'm fu- I'm fully okay with that because I love it. But again, not someplace I would tell somebody to go. But um, growing up there, we had a, a version that I think in that way, I think we're actually pretty representative of a lot of the rest of, I'll just say, the United States. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, the stereotypes of the, oh, there's jocks, oh, there's the jocks, there's the, you know, there's the goths, there's the whatever. We didn't really quite have that so much, partially because of the ethnic makeup of our place. But, you know, there was definitely the, oh, you listen to this, you're over here. You listen to this, you're over there. It was, th- th- that did exist, you know what I yeah. mean? And, and nobody listened to country. If you were, if you listen to country, there was something genuinely wrong with you. Genuine, mm-hmm. like, you were really, really weird. Or your parents were weird if you did, but the the lines were pretty clear. Now, but there was only so many places you could get your music from. Basically, MTV and BET. And if you yeah. didn't listen to those two, you were out of the cool zone totally. You had you had no hope. TikTok, and so of course you dress like those people. Mm-hmm. TikTok allows for way more niches, and so you can be just totally locked in with somebody that none of your friends have heard of and you can pull up to school wearing some real weird stuff or with your coat clothes cut up all funny and they'll at least know okay you've probably found something that maybe i don't like but you're really into it and i bet there's some kind of weird community that's really into that that straight up didn't exist if you pulled up at least where i where i went to high school if you pull up mm-hmm. looking weird you just looked weird. That was it. There was no reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's similar and then kind of different because again, New York's a bit of a melting pot. Yes, yes, and New York is different. I, so it's like, and that also skews my view of things because mm. um, outside of like being like in a fashion capital, I grew up with a gay uncle who would always be like, nah, the way you're dressing is terrible. So yeah. that made me kind of pay attention to how I dressed and presented myself in fashion. Mm. And there's like little things that I now think about and like how I dress and present myself were like hammered into me when I was like 8, 11, 8 mm. to 11 by like my uncle. And so those kind of shape things. However, I feel like when you're a teenager, it's like that one time when you can kind of experiment you're not ever truly experimenting because you're trying to find your social space yes but um you tend to kind of latch onto something that closely identifies how you feel same time you might not really know that so you might be just all right this will keep me safe in a group because at the same time i went to brooklyn tech and fort green 
Phil Green didn't look like it did now, but I had to travel across boroughs. So I had to, at the same time, know how to move and be conscious of how I dress, colors I wore, and just different things like that. So every experience is a bit different and everything like that. I think that's where, again, my perspective may be a bit skewed just because I was exposed to so many different this is the end. This is black, this white, this Asian, multiple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're Korean, Japanese, you're Chinese, you're Filipino. So I was exposed to kind of a lot of different cultures and ways of being. And yeah, we, and I feel like in a funny way, maybe it's all the same because I feel like we all got our same cues from like the MTVs, um, yeah. complex. If you were super cool, maybe it was the fader or the face. But um, yeah. Those were still like kind of the things where it helped shape our fashion until we got older and then started experimenting a bit more. I think actually in a way what, and again, I'm, I'm gonna give the, the credit to TikTok here just because mm-hmm. of the speed, the speed of the algorithm, really. The speed of the yeah. algorithm, the quality of the algorithm. Um, it, that is allowed for, frankly, for kids, adults also, uh, but it, particularly for kids to have a similar experience to growing up in New York times a million. You know what I mean? Because yeah, this is true. There, there were people, I'm sure you probably knew or or had met or something like that or run across like a black metal head. Mm-hmm. I, no, never, yeah. never, ever did I see anything like that. Ever, ever, a Latino metal head. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It just, it, they didn't exist and so i had friends who were into metal and i would go to their house and they play me stuff and i i i didn't know what this stuff was but i thought it was cool and i didn't necessarily feel like oh i'm not allowed to like that stuff especially because they were excited i liked it yeah they, they, oh yeah dex come through like I, i'm gonna play you this oh yeah man double bass this double kick drum i don't know what the hell you're talking about this sounds cool <laughs> i like this let's go um, yeah, I knew one other black kid who was into punk and, you know, these things didn't exist for me, yeah. but the ability to find, and I'm thinking of this specifically because, you know, I'm seeing similarly kids posting stuff like this on TikTok, like, oh man, there's not a whole lot of Latino kids who like this, but, but then you see people in the comments who say, oh yeah, I do. Yeah. And you can find that stuff. And not only it. it you know, I hesitate to put too too much weight on you got to find people who look like you in the scene or whatever. It's just that being exposed to the music, period. Being exposed to a type of fashion, period. Being exposed to a type mm-hmm. of video game, a type of book, uh, a hobby. You know, you find out that you're into plants or whatever. Like TikTok, now TikTok has done this, and I said this in the article, but that doesn't necessarily mean TikTok. TikTok could collapse tomorrow as a yeah. company. It could totally go bankrupt somebody else will come in and do exact they'll eat their lunch but mm-hmm. those floodgates have been opened for good and for bad uh, but that that is allowing for you know a kind of diversification of options of exposure that straight up didn't exist um except unless you lived in a city like LA or New York this is what's impossible seeing uh outcast for example uh got mm-hmm. into outcast two ways my i Family's from the South on my mom's side. So whenever I would go down South, my cousin Mike will put me on a different, every year, put me mm-hmm. on to a different Outkast album. And I yes. fell in love with it. Yeah. But I used to come back to Brooklyn and everybody would be like, well, what is this country bumpkin shit? And they would kind of dismiss it. <laughs> the South don't and got so, anything to say. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I was very much, I remember being to myself a lot 
listening to that on CDs yeah. and then uh, getting introduced to Cash Money. But then there was also, you had Rap City on BT. Yes. That's how I learned about Cash Money. Um, a lot more West Coast music. Uh, so this is Snoop. This is um, even The Far Side. So just different things like that I was exposed to via TV that I couldn't get from Hot 97 Terrestrial Radio New York. And then as I'm 14, 15, the internet starts becoming a thing. Maybe this is a bit later when I'm like 17 and going off to college because then you have LimeWire. Yep. So now I can look for and find different music. So now I'm starting to uh, get like a lot of CDs from British acts. So I'm starting to listen to The Clash when I'm in college. Yeah. I'm starting to um, learn about jungle music. I'm starting to learn about just different types of music because now I have access to it from the internet. So like, it's weird, but it kind of ladders up to your same point where like as technology evolves, our access to things become more immediate and a bit more global and diverse. Immediate, global and diverse, but I think thinner. You know what I mean? Th those, those touch points can become thinner. And I say that because you have, yeah. like you have somebody personally introduce you to this stuff to a lot of it in mm -hmm. the beginning um you were saying also about with with the way that social media works um and this is not to complain about social media this is just this is just a reality is you're kind of bombarded with stuff all the time and so you don't actually have to seek things and so um for good and for, for good and for bad and that means that your connection to something may be not nearly as deep because that's fair you're not you know somebody isn't showing it to you and i and i genuinely wonder what it would be like to be for example introduced to jungle for the first time mm -hmm. i know how i was introduced to it right and yeah. but mine it, i had to sit with it for a second to get it now maybe i would have a similar response if the algorithm just kept saying, nah, man, I think you're going to like this. I think your friends like this. You should, you should give this a try. And then maybe eventually mm -hmm. I would listen, find the one track that I like and then make friends or what have you. Um, it's just different. I, I can't say yeah. it's worse. I can't say it's worse. It's just different. Yeah. You know, it's funny. And even you brought up social media, like a lot of the things I was detailing in college mm. were kind of outside of social media. So yeah. like my discovery didn't come from social media. My discovery came from the internet. Right. And I know those seem like, so it came from being on Nike talk forums because I like sneakers, but on Nike talk, you could also be exposed to music and like the general, they had a music chat actually too. And so you could be exposed to different types of music because people from all over the world like sneakers. And so they're going to have different tastes in music. So then because I'm like starting to form a community of just sneakerheads that I'm finding myself in, now I'm starting to experience like their different types of music fashion and different things like that. So my, I'm older. So like my kind of knowledge and know-how wasn't shaped by social media. It was shaped by kind of internet discovery and yeah. New York city. So let, let's jump, let's jump forward a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, Go for it. We've broached the topic a little bit of coolness. And I think mm -hmm. that coolness and I, People don't understand when I say this, and people think maybe I'm I'm being reductive or silly. Um, the topic of coolness is incredibly important. It, it is something that's being weaponized. It's and what I mean weaponized, it's, it's being used as a, as a stri strategic move. Like look look at look the alt right, the entire alt right movement. That was an attempt to make conservatism cool. 
mm-hmm. because it was seen as something for old, out of touch, out, you know, just not with it, white dudes. How can we make it yeah. cool? Um, I think it was successful in some ways. I think it was unsuccessful in some other ways. It even tried to co-opt some music. People are still trying that, right? Um, so I find coolness to be actually, and this is not just in the United States, a lot of a lot of the attempt to make political things palatable is not appealing to somebody in a moral sense, but appealing to somebody in a cool sense, right? Mm-hmm. Coolness. This is the cool thing to do. It's it not. It's not good. It's not what God wants you to do. It's just this is what their stuff. Their side is uncool. Our side is cool. Whatever. Yeah. So, um, if we're talking about culture, if we're talking about the cultural production of cool, where does black culture fit in with all of this where is black culture right now damn it's a heavy question dex uh so <laughs> and kind of following all of that it's interesting i never look for cool if that makes sense mm. i'm not looking for what's cool and just in my career and just me as a person like i'm always just interested in people mm. and so i'm always i think one of the side effects of being quiet is that you pay attention and you listen Yes. And so I think something that's really helped me in like my career and kind of be up on things that were emerging more so than cool was me paying attention to how people were feeling. So I say all that to say is I, I'm never looking for what's cool. I'm kind of looking for that counterculture thing. I'm kind of looking for that thing that's pushing back. I'm always looking at kind of what is coming from left field and what is like pushing things forward in yeah. that sense. Like mm-hmm. that's where my mind and I are always at. And so I say that to say, I think a lot of black culture and where it is, is in that space of tr- pushing back against kind of what is like that immediacy, mm-hmm. that uh, vapidness and that kind of shallowness. I think it's a lot of that. Uh, it's a lot of anger. It's a lot of division that's probably brought on by social media, but already kind of exercising underlying things that were existing there. So I think black culture is in the place of trying to rediscover itself and rediscover itself in terms of an Mm. understanding of self, but then also identifying community and not community that's your social media following, but actual tangible community that you find in like third spaces that you find when we're at Vice, where you brought up the idea that we only ever worked on one story and I didn't, it never even dawned on me. But we saw each other. We Alzo saw me. Antonio saw me. Tracy saw me. And we saw each other. So I think blackness is always trying to kind of find itself, find a safe space for itself to like nurture itself and grow and push against what is kind of the systems that we live in, the systems that don't serve us. So kind of finding those spaces in which we can thrive, be happy, vibrant, and colorful. And so I think that's where black culture always is. Because mm. that's since we came over to the side of the Atlantic, that's what we've had to do to survive and thrive. <laughs> came over to the side of the Atlantic is a, is yeah. a kind way to put it. I uh, still <laughs> went over to the side of the Atlantic. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. The issue that I have with some of the definition that you, you've laid out about black culture is that necessarily it's defining us, if I may, defining yeah. us as what we are not it's defining us against mm. something you, you see what i'm saying like what is black culture and you brought up things like you know not allowing other people to you know take things from us you know we uh you know pushing back against 
you know, being you know being oppressed, pushing back against that. And so, now I don't necessarily have a problem with this because I think yeah. in a, in a really large way, look, this is this is what you know the Asian American experience is. This is what mm -hmm. this is what the experience of a lot of Latino people in the United States is. Is you know what does a like what does what do I and somebody who just came from Nigeria have in common? Leave all that Adolf stuff alone. Like I don't even want to touch that because I'm not I'm not all, I'm not all that interested in that right now. But yeah. like leave, leave that alone. What do I and what do like I don't know where my ancestors came from necessarily. What part I don't know where yours came from. Mm -hmm. Um, what do we have in common? The thing that we have in common, one of the one of the very the headline of the thing that we have in common is that when the cops show up we're a black male and we're treated as such yeah and, and i think i think we band together because of that you know and i also say for example what does what does a kid of chinese immigrants have in common with a kid of japanese immigrants precisely nothing except that white america looks at them and says oh asian I'm gonna treat you like an Asian person. You dig what I'm saying? And so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with reacting. Yeah. To I guess I, I one thing, or maybe a couple of things I push back is mm. like, you know where your grandparents are from out there, your ancestors? My grandparents? Yeah, you know where they're from, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm personally not that interested in going further back than that, but yeah. Yes, neither am I. And so I can say that to say, like you have a foundation of like a black experience, whether it's a black Caribbean experience, mm -hmm. whether it's a black American experience. And you know that that's a diverse experience where those people had their own things that they enjoyed, own right. things that they liked that aren't necessarily, yes, in terms of a systematic way, they are defined by kind of the color of their skin, but they are still like vibrant people who like things, who like to play card games, mm -hmm. who um, knew how to make corn liquor, who just... Um, maybe didn't have an education because of where they grew up at, but right. they also like baseball. So I think like you do have that stuff. Like, I feel like we do have that stuff. It just might be a matter of, again, like I brought up the idea of community, like kind of asking your elders and using that and not feeling like, well, I don't know where I'm from in Africa, so I can't really find anything. I think that's kind of a way that trips you up and doesn't really show you anything. You do have a, an American, you have a Jamaican, you have a West, uh, a Guyanese experience mm -hmm. and someone might lump us all together, which right. is just going to happen. But your experience coming from those various places is still valid and still something. Yeah. Oh, I'm not. Yeah. I think, I think what, what I'm, what I'm backing up into is mm -hmm. the idea of black culture. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? I don't. So it's funny. Like I remember one of the questions was how do you define it? I don't know if we necessarily need to. Like, I agree with that. I don't know who it serves. I don't know who it serves. Like, yes. I feel like it's it's too vast mm -hmm. to like want to define it. And it's also ever evolving. Like the more we learn about each other and the more we learn about things, like why does that need to be defined to like fit someone's definition? Like the shit just is. Yeah, it, it, it honestly just is. And, that's... and I think even like the definition, and even the definition of it is like fucking capitalism, where it's the idea of like, oh, once I can put a name to it, then I can sell it and then I can message it to somebody. And it's like, nah, fuck that. We exist. We are. Yeah. And, and, and that is actually and I, I want to get to some of the questions that, that people have asked. us. I believe this comes from 
a fellow black journalist. Um, mm-hmm. And they wanted us to talk about uh, the phenomenon of asking black journalists to do big scare quotes here, black stories all month. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Black History Month. Can you do some black stuff for whatever outlet you happen to be in? And I think that that speaks directly to it is because, okay, all right, if we if we get into the trap of defining what black culture is, then there are boundaries drawn around what we are asked to make and also push to do them in February, just like you push to do gay stories in this time. Like, come on, man. But anyway, go yeah. ahead. So my my answer might be a bit interesting. I only ever really cared about doing black stories. Like, <laughs> this is true. Like, this is Steven. That like, was that was facts. the shit I was interested in. Yeah. So it wasn't it was never forced on me because I was doing that in July as well. Like it mm. was never something I was doing in February. I was curious about black people. I was curious about black people from the sense of just discovering blackness. Whether it's we did stories on men's hair weaves, we did stories on uh, strippers who traveled across state lines to get work. Um, like, yeah, that's the shit I was interested in. So it was never forced on me. I mm. think that it's funny. Uh, anything that may have been forced on me, it was up to my discretion as like a journalist to be like, well, no, it's a bit more nuanced than this. So yeah. it was my job as a journalist to share that nuanced story, to find characters that presented this idea in a more nuanced way that uh, gave it the breadth and life that it deserved. So I don't, I never felt like I was forced to do black shit. I am, that's the shit I wanted to do. Well, I think also, look, we, I got to say, I don't want to speak for you. Uh, uh-huh. but I also think that I've been mostly fortunate enough to not have to do that. Uh, look, yeah. nobody, nobody advice ever made me do anything like that. Um, yes, same. And, but I do know that there are people who work at places uh they do make them do stuff like that also look uh advice i have had the suggestion of hey it's such and such a month can we do something and and my response has been why aren't we doing this all the time uh i'll you know what i mean and so i i have had to say that i have i have had to say that about numerous populations not you know certainly i said that at the la times I've said that advice, and I think it was taken well. But I think, look, a lot of places, wow. journalists do get pushed to do that stuff. You know what I mean? And I think it it ends up just being mad demeaning. Like, I've I've seen it, and I've, I've felt the pull. I have felt it. Which is to say that you only matter I, in this time. I guess my you know question I mean? would be, yeah, fair, but fair isn't the right word. Because shit isn't fair, like life isn't fair. But if like that's your time to shine, knock the shit out the park. Like you tell a diverse, uh, beautiful story about black people because you mm-hmm. have that month to do so. And if you feel sidelined, leave or like fight for more. Um, <laughs> I don't like. I find it. I'm like taken aback by like that would be fine as demeaning because you have to cover black people stuff because you're black. Not not demeaning, just like, oh, now now you'll pay attention. But then also, you know, what if you come with something? I think that the fear of some people, and I get this, the fear mm-hmm. of some people is, well, if I come with something that you're not expecting, you know, oh, you're you're looking for a story of, you know, some poor kid, you know, overcoming the odds and doing whatever and, and that fits a particular narrative. But, yo, what if there's just some black kid doing some real cool stuff and i just think yeah. 
let's make something about them and then and then an editor comes back and says mm, that's not really what i'm looking for can we do something a little more you know overcoming oppression how about that you know what i mean and i think that's that that's the worry and i see that and nobody's nobody's ever made me do that because frankly if they did i would leave yeah um, so but I've like, i guess that's that. where i'm at yeah. with it and i'm probably the worst person to ask but, <laughs> I mean, like, the older people who, like were my seniors or mentors know me i'm going to say no i don't want mm -hmm. to do that or like that's not the story i kind of want to tell so i would have left a guy in trouble but i'm cool with that i can't yeah. say what other people are cool with so, but i would have pushed back and said something or yeah my mouth has got me in trouble my entire life so i'm cool with that um and this, so yeah, that's why I was like, I'm not probably not the best person to answer that. <laughs> and this this yeah. leads right into uh, the next one uh, with with somebody asking about uh, they wanted us to talk about respectability politics and how that informs how black journalists conduct themselves and what topics they go after. I got a feeling I know um, what, your, that, what your response is. <laughs> yeah. So well, maybe not like um, you are in a place of business and you have to conduct yourself according to the morals and norm, mores and norms of that place. Mm. So if I were to work at the New York Times, I would have to dress way differently than I did working at Advice or MTV News. Hence, why Stephen Roberts worked at Advice or MTV News. Um, not to say that the New York Times would have had me, but I wasn't necessarily checking for them. Um, yeah. So I think there is, you do have to, this is, we live in a society, so you have to adhere to that stuff. Mm. So those are things you have to adhere to. In terms of like respectability, I don't know. That's on you. Like you kind of, uh, you kind of <laughs> have to go with who you are, like how you see yourself, how you tell your stories. I don't know. Like, I like yeah. Dexter knows me very well. Like I'm not gonna do that. I'm I'm not concerned with making white people feel comfortable. I'm not doing anything to make them feel uncomfortable. I'm not thinking about them. Um. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. But uh, yeah. That's yeah, I talk. Uh, but like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is though. This is this is why you're a good person to talk to about this because I think, look, the world is full of LinkedIn friendly seminars where uh, you get a bunch of people on the stage and talking about. Listen, you need to feel empowered. And look, if somebody is, you know, yeah, I had to hide who I was because I'm this you know, I present this way or whatever at the workplace, that kind of thing. Um, not, not everybody necessarily does that. And, and I don't want to speak for you, but I could imagine that there probably were some things that might've been easier for you had you done that. But you just- Oh yeah, a thousand percent. And, and me too. Thousand, like I've, yeah. I've listened, yeah, yeah, yeah. once again, look at me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there yeah. are some things that had I changed just ever so slightly if i would have made just the tiniest concession um mm -hmm. things would have gone much easier for me yo i got banned from a school from an entire school that i was teaching at when i was substitute teaching because i had a pick in my hair yeah the principal had a letter delivered to me saying do not do this and i was never allowed to teach at that school again that was a significant source of income for me that was my only source of income and i wouldn't do it yeah that was yeah. it. And that was when I was broke. Extra Same. broke. Yeah. And and I've continued to do things like that. Um, and there are places that would not right now would not hire me. They would not let me on camera. It's okay. I'm not checking for them. I don't want to work there. Because if that's mm -hmm. their attitude about how I look, I really don't know what it what they want to say about 
how I feel. Exactly. That, that's and I think, already a problem. Yeah, and I think I've been test. super yeah, super blessed and lucky to work at places like MTV News where yeah. who I was encouraged. I had uh, black people that I could lean on and who guided me as hard-headed as I was to like uh, advance my career or do the right thing or just learn systems and different things like yeah. that. But I've been blessed and lucky and maybe it's a bit of my own like kind of foresight. I wanted to work in places where I could be me. I remember uh, you brought up, I worked at ESPN, which was in Bristol, Connecticut. And that was a huge learning experience for me. And I'm glad I had like really good bosses that helped me navigate that. But I remember I had a boss who used to always get feedback from people about me. And then he would share with me when it was time to do my reviews. And it was always like really, it was kind of funny, but uh, you would get good feedback and then bad feedback. Yeah. And then I would point out, I was like, hey, that's the same sentence in the good column as it is in a bad column. <laughs> it's just someone yeah. sees me this way, someone sees me that way. Not that I'm perfect or like I'm not fucking up on something, but in terms of that feedback there that you're listing out, that you called out, these are a different way of saying the same thing. So some people like that I'm the way I am and some don't. Yeah. And I remember him being like, well, maybe if you wore like a suit and tie and different things like that. And then he caught himself. And then later on when I did my exit interview, he was like, yeah, I knew as soon as I said that you, you were done. And I was like, yeah, very much so. But like, it wasn't me or for me. And I'm cool with like, if that space is not, or that space, that person, that whatever isn't serving me, I'm out and I'm good with that. And I can yeah. sleep and I, that's how I was taught to be myself or raised. Here is, here is where I have to put the, the sort of disclaimer though. Um, is that we're we're out here and we're basically saying, and I'm realizing there's gonna be some people who are watching this who were um, either younger than us and trying mm -hmm. to trying to break into where you know <laughs> I don't know where I am, <laughs> I don't know where you yeah. are, but quote unquote where we are, like you know that that in kind our of career, thing, you know I mean? yeah, yeah, exactly, and um, and but then also people who were kind of just from the outside saying, okay, well, all right, well if they're saying it, then when I hear somebody talking about you know, once again, respectability politics, essentially, if you don't understand what that is, if, if it's a new frame uh, phrase for you, it's essentially, well, it's like you said, it's acting in such a way, changing something about your appearance or, or, or your presented personality or how you talk or whatever to make the dominant population more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Here we're speaking about white, cisgender heterosexual, generally Christian men in the United States, right? Respectability politics, making yourself more respectable to them. So here you got two dudes talking about, nah, forget that, man. Like, we, we didn't do that. We, we, didn't, we didn't bend. So, no, I don't say, uh, I would say we prefaced this at the beginning where we were mm -hmm. like, when you walk into institutions, there are certain, like, mores and norms that you sure. have to adhere to. Yeah. We didn't say that. Yeah. We're not saying completely throw that away. Yeah. I was like, when I was an intern, I was the first intern in the office every day. I was delivering everyone's newspapers to their desk. I was staying late to add lot. Younger people are going to have no idea what that means. But like, I was staying late. I was do. I was working hard. I was respectful to people. I wasn't being disrespectful. Yeah. But in terms of who I am, I know I know how to code switch. Like I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from the project. I have to learn for my own survival. I have to know how to code switch. And so that's yeah. something you have to grab onto what I'm saying is like being in spaces that don't serve you aren't healthy. So yeah, you can code switch all you want, but if you are in a space where 
the underlying thing is that you're black, like recognize that and then recognize, all right, how do I want to move and proceed henceforth? Definitely. And I mean, I, I, I bring that up to add to the fact that, A, um, we are, you know, I will say we are, in a manner of speaking, success stories. You know, not every, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a lot of work that went into it. There's also some luck. Some people yeah. don't get that. And so and so I just want to preface all of that by saying that or, you know, to add to this all to say that, you know, we're talking as as two people who have influenced how culture moves. Right. You I mean, you definitely have influenced mm-hmm. how culture moves. just played a the kind of work you've done, be the places you've been is um, not everybody makes it out like that. And it also goes the, also another important thing is the volume of work the volume of actual hustle not everybody has that and and i say that in the most neutral and diplomatic sense that possible and what i mean by that is people shouldn't have to work as hard yeah. just to eat like you like the kind of hustle that you had to do to make it where you at like you know work twice as hard to get half as much like you know that whole thing like it it mm-hmm. that that is not something i would wish on anybody it, you do yeah. not it i would much prefer that everybody doesn't have to put in all of that just to be able to put food on the table like that that's not a thing that i think is is necessary so just understand what we're talking about listen i did this and i said you know what i don't want to be in this environment so i'm, I'm a dip that comes with so much consequences behind, yeah. it comes it comes with consequences and sometimes those are unforeseen and sometimes they they play out worse for a person and and these are all you know what i mean and look it depending on how you present depending on how you look um you know depending on your ethnicity your religion you know all these other things like people will hit you get hit harder than i would you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i present as you know a, a cisgender straight dude you know what i mean like there, there's some things that are not going to hit me the way they hit yeah. somebody else. And I don't have to play down parts of my personality mm-hmm. the same way that somebody else does just, just so somebody will respect them in a workplace, respect them wherever they at. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of caveats. This is all just to say that this is how the kind of path that we, you know, we have taken thus far, I guess. Um, but yeah, man. Yeah. But th- this is this is what the, like, this is what the background looks like. <laughs> yeah. No, very true. And also, it's like I can only speak from my experience. We all want to have unique experiences. I um, it's funny. Uh, you bring this all up, and let's use Vice as an example without naming yeah. names. But we had younger, blacker people on our team that we mentored, helped do things, helped them guide things. And like I bring up, I keep bringing up like this idea of like community, like being in the forefront of my mind in terms of what's next. Mm-hmm. It's like it's continuing, like reinforcing that, helping those people do that. Like, mm-hmm. and that's maybe how you write a pitch that may be in, okay, cool, don't say anything right now. Let me go talk and ask and see if I can help do something for you. Like, right. it's different ways to navigate that. My journey is my journey. And like, you can't necessarily take and apply everything I've done to your own. You can kind of take, you got to kind of curate how you're going to move. And you also, also, actions have consequences. Like, yeah. Yeah. So you kind of got to live with that once you do things. Yeah. So so we've talked a little bit about what it's what's taken to be in in those rooms that, again, yeah. make, make these look, we, we make stuff. You and I and again, mm-hmm. especially you make things that will put a 
even if slight dent in the trajectory of what is consumed what what culture is out there um where do you see that going i mean you talk about community you talk about mm-hmm. you, you said you mentioned a a sort of rejection and a potential rejection of of just the constant boom 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 stuff you know what i mean um like constant just feed of things which which i suppose is something that's possible where do you see what's the next phase of i'll just put it like this let's put it in capital terms in yep. capitalist terms what's the next phase of of cultural consumption uh, or consumption of culture so i think i can confidently say i don't care about that part Ooh, okay um i care about the stories that i want to tell and like i am at the age and like space in my career where i can be selfish and say that and also like if i i may know the answer i'm like i know it's cool like i'm not gonna show <laughs> that but like somebody will pay me to tell them what's cool and like do shit like that but what mm. i want to do is kind of create a space where again i keep talking about creating spaces and creating shit for ourselves mm. i want to kind of create a space where i can help dictate that and i can mm. help illuminate and tell stories that um that are start becoming like foundational and validate themselves I don't know if that quite made sense, but like yeah. I, um, I, I think a lot of the work that I've done throughout my career, we could bring in like Vice, uh, mm-hmm. Widen, whatever. They were always stories about just black people being cool with existing, and that's something I want to continue to do, but have ownership of that stuff, uh, be able to kind of build from that to create a company where most of our friends have Peabody's, fucking, uh, I think some of us have Pulitzer's, Emmys, all mm-hmm. that. A lot of them out of work. And like figuring things out so i want to be able to create a space a company and vision for them to thrive and to be seen validated and heard so that's where i'm at i'm not interested in like what's cool i know it's cool i'm cool so i'm good on that i told you this interview is going to be just heady no no this is good it's it's okay no this is good man look all right well Related to that, related uh-huh. to that, um, there's another question that we got, and you're talking about like community spaces or whatever. Okay, let's talk about yeah. having those spaces invaded. Mm-hmm. Big word here, but spaces invaded. Somebody asked, okay, yo, can y'all talk about how gay, black, and brown folk are overlooked by basically overlooked by people who quote unquote steal their mannerisms, steal steal the mm-hmm. culture theft, cultural yeah. appropriation. Where where are you on? cultural appropriation and how do you think that not even where are you right now but like where where do you think that goes from here so it's uh we did a jumped around with a few different things yes i think that's uh unfortunately one of the unfortunate things about uh being from black and marginalized communities like because you are forced to invent your safety and like your own being and like fight and forge those kind of identities, mannerisms, language, shorthands, those are all for your survival so that you can exist in the society. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately that is never gonna kind of go away. But at the same time, there's a beauty and pride that like the, uh, our black and brown brothers in the LGBTQ plus AI community 
can know that, no, you are seeing, we see what you're doing. I think that was one of the, while it wasn't like my favorite album, I thought that was a really dope part about what Beyonce did with Renaissance and kind of providing that, mm. that kind of hero so that uh, friends from like uh, various queer communities can feel seen and heard and digested. So I think it's continuing to build art, make art. And like, that's what I do. I make art. So for mm. me, like that's how I do it. Unfortunately, the way this place was set up is for shit to be exploited. And so I think uh, it's uh, being a measured in terms of what you share with an outside community. Mm-hmm. I think that's something you should be conscious of uh, from all spectrums of blackness. But like, yeah, um, I forget if I answered the second half of your question. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. man. Okay. Yeah. But we, we talked about this, man, like being yeah. measured what you share with the outside. I think. I don't know that we can do. I don't know that anybody can do that. Again, look at TikTok. Like, uh, oh, are we saying don't I'm put not, stuff on TikTok? on TikTok? I'm not on TikTok. Like, um, <laughs> like if I wasn't talking to you, you wouldn't hear pe- the twelve people in here. There might be people on YouTube, but uh, they wouldn't hear like half the stuff that I typically talk to you about. Mm. So i I don't have a need for like outside people to know the shit I do. Right. And again, that's where I'm at in my career. And it's mm. probably a bit of my personality in general. But um but yeah, um I can only speak from my perspective and how I think like gatekeep a bit more. Like guard and hold gatekeep. what you do is precious. Um you know it's one of the funny things that mm. but also be vocal about that shit. Call out people when they do things. Uh recently uh the Times ran it and a few of the like outlets have been like uh, the Travis Kelsey haircut, which is basically a fade. Mm. Um, and most people know like what if well, that's very much influenced by like black hair and just mm. different styles and cuts. One of the cool things that happened was Travis Kelsey was like, nah, it's called a fade. It's not the Travis Kelsey haircut. And also you're not about to get me in trouble during black history month. Like he had the knowledge because people, he grew uh, up around black people uh, and people have been vocal and fight for who they are understanding that like our hair is important uh the language that i use to communicate with others in my community so i have so i'm safe is my own so i think you continue to be vocal and be like hey don't why are you using that like don't use our slang um Mm. like if people want to obviously be want to like engage in our community provide them with an education of like yo this is what you're about to get and these are the things you're about to face and this is who you need to give pay homage to and different things like that so i think um i don't know i'm just talking now but like yeah <laughs> well yo i mean i think look i think one, one of the things people got to understand is that appropriation or or use of a, another culture quote unquote um is pretty built into like american culture in general yeah, you know I mean, that, yeah, from from the from the very, very very beginning. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, and th- that's genuinely just what that that's that's where this all comes from. I mean, I I've mm-hmm. used this example before, um, but let's take it back to the 1800s. Japan was a closed off country. United States goes over sails over with some boats and says, yo, y'all got to open this place up because we want to do some trade with you. The Americans who were on the ship, first off, they have a bunch of black enslaved men as 
bodyguards essentially but also partially mm-hmm. to show look we have these people who are much larger than us if they're doing what we say that that's kind of a signal to you but afterwards when they're you know they invite the japanese dignitaries onto the boat and they perform basically the the white dudes put on blackface mm-hmm. and essentially did a minstrel show yep they did a minstrel show and that was the the first american and japanese cultural interaction but that was because at that point there was no american culture other than this american culture was this sort of repackaged version of what was thought of as black culture Mm -hmm. and the japanese people thought it was incredibly bizarre they thought it was the weirdest shit they'd ever seen i mean and there's records of this and they drew pictures of it um and you can see in the records, they're just, you know, I don't know what these dudes are doing. They're painting their faces and they're jumping around. And I think it's, f- they seem to really enjoy it. So I guess it's funny, but why mm-hmm. are they doing this? But that's the, that's origin. The origin is of American culture is extracting something from somebody else, packaging it and then saying, okay, yes, this is now, this is what we do. This mm-hmm. is our pastime. You know what I mean? Um, so that's the origin. So, I mean, the idea of gatekeeping is super interesting to me, but also the idea that, like, I personally think this is kind of going to continue. That's one thing I don't see going away. Yeah. Because that that was, they, they were showing off to, again, the, the repackaging here, they were showing, to this, them, that was cool. They were showing off, hey, this is, this is the cool stuff we do, Japan. Here's our culture. Mm-hmm. Here's what we got. I don't see that going away. You don't think so? Like, um, like so. Yes, that's that aspect of it is not going away. But the Michael Jordan having ownership of what a Jordan is and how he presents himself in the world is kind of, I think, an evolution of that where he now. Yes, it's in partnership with a company, but he had the foresight to own his image and how he's presented. That's kind of a lesson in which people build from. Um, Beyonce having ownership of her music, and I know I'm using like pop culture and different things like that, but I do think as black folks have more ownership and in the stories that they tell, um, the products that they sell, then that allows them to shift that cultural narrative in terms of knowing where that comes from. Um, building off of the commonalities that they have with their brothers and sisters across both sides of the Atlantic and Pacific, mm-hmm. where you can kind of, you understand what uh, Afrobeats music is. You mm-hmm. understand how grime was influenced by hip hop, but then taken and spun into itself and made something new. You understand how uh, hip hop from the Bronx can then be taken down to Memphis and then brought into new different things. I think it's like celebrating, uplifting those stories because yes, cultural preparation, unfortunately will continue, but at the same time, you can celebrate what black people are doing and share those stories, share black stories. Look at that. But, um, yeah, <laughs> there you go. But yeah, like, I think, yes, like, um, like, uh, various forms of dance, like Memphis, uh, Jukin, like that's its own thing. Um, that's an art form. That's something that can be celebrated in the same vein that you could celebrate ballet. There's no reason why that can't be seen as uh, 
uh, equals or parallels um, the comedy of a Cat Williams, the different things like that. I feel Cat like Williams, there is. Yeah, I know that was the first comedian that came to my mind. No, no, but, just um, that interview was wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like I do, like I understand a thousand percent, and I agree what you're saying in terms of cultural appropriation. But we are thankfully and blessedly not enslaved humans anymore, and we have a lot more agency now, where we kind of build on those lessons and kind of own our shit and like tell our stories. I do, I do think that the what becomes again like culture and what what becomes consumable culture and what becomes cool in the mainstream often is stuff that gets filtered in from why why does anything have have to be mainstream like i don't know if we need that cosine of a mainstream like oh i don't think we need exist and thrive no no i I don't think so well i think okay look because here's the thing is that i think going all the way back to what we were talking about in in the beginning Uh um coolness which again i think is incredibly important um coolness often the people who were actually at the forefront were the people who were weird or the people who were at the margins sometimes on per sometimes just by virtue of who they were mm-hmm. but also by virtue of you know the things that you be, you you get into or whatever music the hobbies you have the interests you have right um those things then filter into the mainstream and then obviously that does affect you in some way i'm thinking for example of um what what we now term at so what some people call is like Gen Z slang, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Oh, that's like TikTok slang. That's Gen Z slang. Oh man, no cap on God. Like no, that's just like black kid slang. Yeah, it's African American vernacular. There is there anyway. is nothing Gen Z about this. There is nothing. Yeah, it, there's nothing t- specifically. There's nothing TikTok about that. The only thing we could say that's TikTok about that is I think there is a sort of, you know, Baltimore slang as a kid would have been completely impenetrable to be. Like I wouldn't have yeah. understood it because I'm not from there. Now exactly. I, I can see it and I can see what black people in Baltimore are doing. And there's I can sort of intuit the roots of it and it feels, oh, that's kinda I see where that came from something that like my dad used to say, or that came from something my grandma used to say. Like I can see I can see the roots. It starts to make sense. But that's all to say that there's a lot of stuff that is that comes out into again, the mainstream which we can say we don't care about, cool. But it does come out into the mainstream as, oh, this is just what cool, this, this is a cool new thing. And it's like, nah, man, this is just, this, this is a very specific community is saying this. And now that has leaked out, as just as you said, like that's a fade, that's not the guy's haircut, that's a fade. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that's continuing. I, yes, but I guess that's going to, be what it is it doesn't make what's happening within that community less valid of course like it doesn't need the validation of yeah of course i'm just saying that uh-huh. i i think that is that is going to be and i think of this for example um when i see companies releasing trend forecasts if, if for those of y'all yeah. who don't know this is a thing is like companies will release trend forecasts and they'll say here's what here's what's going to be hot in the next couple of years in the next five years like here's the new color that's going to be that's going to be popular cool and we also have to back up and remember why are companies releasing these things generally it's for advertisers so advertisers can target us better make more money off of us right but the driving the driving force of this has again taking all the way back to the 1850s it has always been a 
an extraction of a culture that is at the margins, whether that is black culture, whatever you think that means, whether that is queer culture, whatever you think that means, whether that's, you know, that's brown people, whether it's Asian Americans, you know what I mean? Whether that's basically anything. And it's going to be a kind of extraction that filters into the mainstream. And then by that point, it's late. Mm -hmm. Like you're late. And then that's being used to sell you things. Again, capitalism. I didn't make those rules. Yeah. I'd like to yeah. make different rules, <laughs> but those, those those are the rules. And I feel like we're we're seeing that more. We're just seeing it, you know, with something like a TikTok. We're seeing it just diversifying in really interesting ways. But I think the underlying principles are similar. But now you've got people who are able to kind of talk back about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like um, I. You brought up the idea of like TikTok slang, and but we have the definition that that's African American vernacular English. Yeah. So, one person is wrong, one person is right in that equation yeah. because there's like evidence. <laughs> so, like, why are you arguing with people who are wrong, or why do you need the people who are wrong to understand that they're wrong? That's on them. They can read and educate themselves. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm not being contrarian, but like it's just kind of how I see it. No, this is good. No, yeah. this is good. I uh -huh. didn't. I didn't bring you on here to agree with me and back me up and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said. <laughs> this is a conversation. Because, like, I totally understand what you're saying. Like, yes, that's true, but there's no reason why you can't celebrate that inward and like because this, like, inwardly. Um, because these <laughs> inward. Like, yeah, ooh, I, know, we celebrate? I know. I know. We can celebrate yeah, that yeah. too if you want. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's Black History Month. How it, however, once, uh, yeah. Um, but like. <laughs> You can like enjoy your experience, your lived experiences and celebrate them. And like mm. that can, that doesn't mean you have to sell it or that a larger audience has to know what you're talking about. That's cool that they don't know what you're talking about. That to me, like, oh, we've talked about this idea of coolness. And mm. I think one of the things where you see it almost as a commodification and I could be wrong. I don't see it as that. I see it as identity. I see it as you establishing like who you are, what you like and different things like that. And that's its own hub of what it is. It doesn't have to be repackaged or branded so other people can digest it. You knowing who you are is beautiful and cool and should hold you over and sate you. So for me, I'm concerned about elevating that idea and like mm. way of thinking. Uh, I understand we live in a capitalist society and that will be somehow manipulated and capitalized upon. That's what it is. But there's no reason why your day-to-day -day being has to be worrying about that it should be worrying about your happiness and like your understanding and knowing who you are and finding happiness and like others who celebrated that yeah i mean i think we're talking about two sides of the same phenomenon you know what i mean you're, mm -hmm. you're speaking about the inwardness what yeah beatmaster saying inner truth like what, what makes you you and being comfortable with what you are who you are feeling like you can branch out and learn about things and i don't think either of us are saying you know don't learn about quote-unquote other cultures whatever that means to you like nobody yeah. will ever say i will certainly never say that um mm -hmm. or or even will i say you know don't listen to the music don't you know participate do do all of that man because look at me i've done participated in a whole lot yeah. of things that my my 23 and me uh did not have in plan for me right um mm -hmm. that all being said you're talking about kind of the in, the inner your personal thing. I think I'm talking about. Okay, let's understand what happens 
once that gets away from you because it will or once that gets away from your insular community because it will i'm not saying you need to be preoccupied by it i'm saying i think it's good to understand what is going to happen after that because just just this, just this, you get because you're gonna you're gonna see quote unquote you you're gonna see you out in the wild somewhere and you're not gonna recognize it or it's gonna look somewhat familiar but it's gonna look a little distorted and it's gonna be used to sell something to somebody and it's sometimes nice to understand okay I see why that's happening yeah yes I'm not saying you can Agreed. stop it but, but yeah yeah because I think and I don't keep you here too much longer but I, I, th there's one thing i think about a lot man is you know we've talked about mtv we talked about vice a little bit you know both places well both places you you've been at one of those yeah. that i've been at is i think you know the arbiter of where cool came from you know again cool right the the arbiter of what's hip what's cool what's on the forefront what you need to know i think at a certain point for a certain generation it was you know american bandstand and then you got, you know, in the 70s going on to the early 80s, you got something like Soul Train. Of course, there's magazines in there. Uh -huh. Then as Soul Train is starting to kind of decline a little bit, you got MTV with the music videos. The music videos start to become a little bit less important. You can find them online. Then, who, you know, we're talking 2005, six or so, Vice comes along. Yeah. And Vice, Vice is, you know, truly, if you want to know what's, what's hip, Vice had a pulse on a lot of it. I think Can I, I'll let you finish. I'm let go you ahead. Finish. Yeah, yeah. My, my my last thing is that I think we're getting to a point where there is no longer going like what 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 is the thing that comes after Vice? I don't think there is anything. I think the thing just like Pitchfork. What comes after Pitchfork? I don't think there's a post Pitchfork. I think it's people on TikTok. I feel like you are very much interested in kind of platforms that present culture to places. Yes, I am. That's where I no longer care because they're not they're made up. Mm. I don't I don't care what they will be, what's next after that, because that's not where I find cool from. It's where I got to learn about some things. Yeah. But again, like in terms of MTV didn't play black, didn't have black people on the channel for years. Yes. Uh Vice didn't the black people that were on Vice were typically presented from the view of white people yes. for a large number of the time. Mm -hmm. So to me, those weren't kind of the end all be alls of what youth culture was. Same way TikTok isn't to me. And that is also a result as a result of me being older. But like the cool kid is going to shine through no matter what the platform is. Like a um mm. an LL Cool J is going to be an LL Cool J in the 80s. He's going to find his way in the 90s. He's going to find his way in the 2000s, 2010s, 2020s. So like a star is a star. Like no matter what kind of avenue and arena you put them in, they are going to be a star. However, at the core, they are still a star. It's not. It's just like how you are introduced to them as an outside person. So mm. I am, I guess, where I'm at on my own spiritual journey or where I care about <laughs> career. Yeah. Like none of that shit matters. Like uh, to me, I'm not any of the people at the Grammys. I'm not nearly as talented musically as any of those folks. But like that doesn't mean that SZA didn't have the best album of last year like SZA is fucking dope and like the stories that SZA mm. is sharing from her perspective are beautiful and like a rarely seen rarely seen or rarely articulated way in which that uh, perspective of like a young black woman navigating relationships her understanding things like that are important she doesn't just because she doesn't win a grammy doesn't mean like that it's less important 
or right. that Taylor is more valuable than her or anything like that. She mm-hmm. as a singular force is amazing and beautiful. Like you don't need the cosines of other things. I'm not going to say it, but I keep wanting to say you don't need white man paperwork. But like, um, <laughs> and you said it. <laughs> yeah. But it's like kind of that thing of like, you don't need all these, like those accolades. Yes, the external validation, but what does that really hold? And like, what control do you have over that? Because yeah. that is such a political game of chess that has, there are so many other things that are going on outside of you in terms of jockeying within uh, musical institutions and who might want to be celebrated and highlighted by external forces. That doesn't mean that you are any less valuable because of outside forces, how they might see you, how they might judge you. I think your art is your art and how you present that. You should have confidence in it and you should be willing to be critiqued and learn and grow from it. I I think I, I agree. And I mean, yeah. I think I think a lot of these platforms are ceasing to have meaning. Um, what comes after is 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 an interesting question. I feel like we give things meaning, though. Of course, of course. Yeah. Pe- pe- people are ceasing to give that meaning, and I think I think somebody you know people like me and you and I frank frankly, I mean anybody who who grew up on hip hop, um, anybody who was marginalized or whatever, um, understands that intuitively. You know, we always knew that the, the Grammys are. Who pays attention to the Grammys? Yeah, it, it, it's cool. It's cool when one of us, whatever us means to you, wins. But mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like a nice to have. It's not a necessary. You know, what I mean, you kind of yeah. assume that the real the the real thing at the forefront is not going to win it because it's too far ahead of the curve for it. I mean, I think of, for example, uh, you know, my niece who's now fourteen, but a couple a few years ago, like she know she knew what I did for a living, mm-hmm. and completely uninterested. You know, and I think somebody said, oh, yeah, you know, Uncle Dexter's on HBO. Zero interest. At some point, it, I think <laughs> we were at some family event, like Super Bowl or something like that, because Super Bowl is a family event. Um, somebody mentions, oh, yeah, I saw Dexter's thing on YouTube. And she she kind of perks up and says, you're on YouTube? And I say, yeah. Why? She said, How many people watch? And I said, I don't know. I mean, some of them have a few million views loses her mind completely yeah. different like those brands don't this is what i'm saying is those brands don't mean anything so a brand like mtv a brand like a vice don't necessarily mean anything now how do i feel about numbers replacing that i'm not sure but the kind of gatekeeper type thing the kind of platform type thing it's like you say that a, a star is a star is a star and maybe it's to a more niche audience which i think is also great yeah. Um, that that you could have somebody who's just incredibly meaningful, but not incredibly meaningful for a billion people, incredibly meaningful for 10,000 people or 100,000 people or just yeah. people in Baltimore or just people in Miami or whatever. I think that's amazing, right? The num- the, the focus on numbers, the way that it, it, it has started to change how people make things, which I do worry a little bit about. A little bit about i worry about the patience but but it's i i suppose it's something that's inevitable again because of things like TikTok have come and that that is what it is what it is now but it is becoming interesting yeah and i think um there were always numbers there was always tv ratings mm-hmm. like if uh, jay leno didn't get numbers in terms of viewers he would have been replaced um so there's always been like kind of that metric to 
qualify or something. However, what I'm kind of, I guess, in a sense, rejecting is like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I care in a sense of I know how I have to play the game. Yeah. Like, a lot of my stuff for Vice, I, it got millions of views, and that's why I get, kept being able to make weird stuff. But I also got to be able to make weird and different stuff because it was good. So it's like yeah. a balancing act in a game you have to play. So from that perspective. But I feel like because my foundations aren't let me get views, my foundations are kind of understanding people. That's how I approach coolness. That's how I approach how I look for coolness. That's how I approach telling a story. Somebody said, uh, thoughts on four, four years later, Biden mm-hmm. telling Charlemagne, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. <laughs> Let's bring it all the way back. Let's bring it all the way back. How do it's we funny, feel about this? I know this? who asked that. Um, <laughs> my, I think my laugh summed it up. Uh, yeah. Yep. I think we... Oh, man. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people will be questioning their blackness in the upcoming election cycle. You remember he did that to Antonia, too? I don't remember he did it to her. He oh, did. he did at the thing. Yes. At, at the, the at the Brown and Black Forum. Yeah, he yeah. said he said almost the exact same thing. I think he said it to her. Not not to shout out Antonia Hilton, by the way. Uh, shout right. out Madness, uh, but, New York uh, Times, New York Times bestseller. Pardon. Antonia Hilton. Yeah, yes. I wouldn't know. We should say New York Times bestseller slash uh, Peabody Award winner slash yes. Pulitzer finalist. Yes. Antonio Hilton. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Sorry. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Got, got to get the titles in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, Charlemagne, I believe he said you ain't black to Antonia first. That's Biden, amazing. B- Biden said it to Antonia first. Antonia and, and Alzo. Yes. They, at they, the they, Black and Brown Forum. Yes. yes. I remember this. Yes. Um. Uh, so, uh, yes, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen Antonia Hilton or Alzo Slade. They are a spectrum of blackness in of itself. So that should tell you how ridiculous that statement was. Yeah, that was yeah. that was something, man. Yo, Hi, um, uh, Steven, thank you so much for coming. Thank through. you Everybody, for having me. You, you got the IG down there. You know how to find him. Um, you will see something, I'm sure, popping up on his feed. And he'll tell you about, I don't know, man, the new x-men that he directed or something like that at some point which i feel like that would not be unheard of Mm -hmm. please there are a lot of great black characters in uh, x-men too (laughs) i mean x-men is a whole conversation in of itself but we're we're not gonna get into that all right my man appreciate you talk soon later y'all easy